Hello everyone, this is Kisa Shreen and today we're going to focus on exploring key trends that will dominate the ESG space in fourth quarter 2020 and beyond. We continue seeing dramatic events like wildfires, deadly hurricanes, and record summer temperatures. Also, for those of us in the U.S., there is the preparation of the elections, the presidential elections, where the topic of climate transition is coming to the forefront as part of the candidates' discussions. To talk about three core themes that may set the agenda in this space is Barnabas Axe, Global Sales Readiness Director for Sustainable Finance at Refinitiv. Barney, thank you for joining us today and congrats on your new role. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here again. So, Barney, we know that like regions like the EU have extensive green recovery plans, which could also become a reality in the U.S., if the Biden-Harris campaign wins. Responsible investor pointed to a document stating that EU member states want 37% of a 312 billion euro recovery budget invested in green projects. What are your thoughts, Barney, on that? Is that something that could truly help economies bounce back from economic recession and prevent other major crises and climate emergencies? Yeah, um, so just to start, uh, this year, I believe uh, there were already kind of two challenges uh, that the governments and, and of course, the EU among them had to solve. And one was the sort of the transition to climate neutrality by around to, uh, 2050. Uh, the other one was the digital transition. And to that, there was, of course, the addition of the uh, economic downturn uh, created by the COVID-19 uh, situation or pandemic. It's, it's uh, unfortunate. It's way bigger than a situation. So the um, the uh, the proposal that that you mentioned is is basically talking about the recovery and Re uh, resilience facility, the RRF, which is a key uh, instrument to the European uh, Recovery Fund. And what it states is that the member states must. Uh, outline national <clears throat> investment plans that are basically solving for these three challenges. So they have to be servicing uh, the recovery, the transition to digital, and the transition to carbon neutrality. And this is the, this is, I'm guessing this is a response to the call of not making this recovery just a recovery, but a just recovery. And, um, and to that, whether whether I believe that would help or not, what, what it will do is will definitely add to the decentralization of infrastructure and really help uh, prepare the uh, societies for, for, for the transition. If you, if you think about it, COVID-19 uh, COVID already made a lot of people stay home and, as per fact, made the whole economy more decentralized. If you think mm. about the... Yeah. The technology that is underpinning the climate transition, that's also, you know, solar panels, wind, et cetera, et cetera. These are also decentralized systems. I love what you're saying there with the, the decentralized systems. If we have, if we look at this from a U.S. lens, do you think that this would be the same outcome for those in the U.S.? Yes and no. I'm, I mean, obviously, there are a couple of studies um, that already state that um, from ground up, Owing to uh, a couple of organizations, the transition in climate neutrality has already happened. In fact, uh, there is a study that states that uh, by 2030, 
from these ground up innovations and coalitions, 25 percent decrease uh, decrease in, in, in CO2 emissions could be achieved, which is huge. Although that also states that uh, if there was a federal assistance of this, that that number would be around 49, 50% by 2030. And given the magnitude of US emissions, which is around five gigatons, uh, that kind of percentage different would actually constitute to a size of emission reduction of the total annual emission of Japan. So um, mm-hmm. to your question, Yes, it's already it's already ongoing. For example, if you if you think about it, compared to a very low statistical figures a couple of years ago, nowadays there are 33% of the Americans living in cities or communities where there is a 100% com- uh, there is a commitment to 100% renewable energy sources. So there is this bottom up, but uh, you know bottom up approach, and of course there are the Googles and the Amazons. Who are who are committing to not only to climate neutrality but uh, negative carbon, but obviously mm-hmm. how far mm-hmm. they go with our federal assistance. So, uh, if we take a look at the outside of the U.S., going back to Europe specifically, we all we know that the European Commission president is proposing the EU reduce greenhouse gas emissions by at least fifty five percent by 2030, which is from 1990 levels, instead of the 40% cut agreed to six years ago before the Paris Agreement. Do you think this target is feasible? Uh, just to put this into perspective, I mean, uh, right now, the um, the current state of emissions in the European Union is about uh, 4.9 gigatons, which is 23% below the, the 1990 levels. If you think about it, this kind of 55% is an additional 30-ish percent reduction, which considering the more evolved technologies and, of course, the uh, uh, the serious federal, if I, if I talk about the EU as a, as a federal entity, whether they are not, but that kind of backing definitely adds to the feasibility of, of these things. And by the way, the these kind of communications, I think, go beyond feasible or not obviously we want to we want to avoid this kind of greenwashing or for, for false promises by by governing entities but mm. if you think about it that these mm. board pledges mm-hmm. what they do is actually really convince the financial market participants that okay this is the serious stuff there is not going to be any achievements being done without mm-hmm. structural changes so that actually encourages the financial market participants to go forward uh, and anticipate structural changes, i.e., for example, the ending of a uh, 5.2 trillion uh, subsidy market, which they cannot tap into anymore, um, mm-hmm. and start to start to think about uh, how to do investments in those requirements. For example, in the energy sector, it's a uh, 3.5 trillion that investments that have to go into the energy sector alone. Um, per annum up until 2030. So these are quite big numbers uh, at hand. So if we're looking, you talked a little bit earlier about market participation, and I know that some folks would say that it might not be possible to achieve significant targets without some of the biggest nations on board. Um, one example might be the U.S. leading the Paris Agreement. What is your thought about how these things can be achieved when you don't have all participants who are really working in concert? 
Yeah, um, I, I mean, this is this is sort of referring back to the state's uh, question that you asked before. I think the pivotal point already already happened. So there is no turning back. Uh, even if you uh, don't really support everything from a top, I think what should be really avoided, and luckily this is this is not the situation elsewhere, like in the states, and where where sort of there is a religion about climate denial, and in some cases we see serious actions against the transition to climate neutrality, like the DOL. Uh, release earlier and 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 the latest uh, SEC announcement on curbing uh, voting rights uh, or proposals to voting. So um, if there is nothing actively going against this transition, uh, I think there is already changes happening. And and of course, if there is the uh, federal help going with it, the significance of these changes can be can be even bigger. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I, this this problem wouldn't solve itself. So this is I, I, by nowhere near saying that. But what I'm saying, if you don't actively go against stopping this process, it will automatically accelerate somewhat. And of course, if you put a top-down approach to it, it will accelerate in a pace that is required to reach the goals. So just in, in shifting gears just a bit here, we're talking about regions and countries. Wanting to know how, what's the process for starting a transition bond? How does that even come into effect? And this specifically within various regions that would like to begin transition bonds or create them? Yeah, just going back one, one step. And um, I think um, the significance of the transition bonds comes into play when, when we think about the green bonds. Um, so we did a study ourselves, Refinitiv did an, a, a remarkable study which has basically collated all the green financing for the first half of uh, 2020. Uh, so ECM markets, DCM markets, syndicated loans, m and actions, et cetera, et cetera, that are linked to some sort of sustainability. And, and the total value of that for the first half was about 300 billion US dollars. So if you extrapolate that to 2020 uh, for a whole year, that should be around uh, 600, 650 um, US billion US dollars. If you look at another study, which was uh, released by the Rainforest Action Network, the amount of uh, financing that went into fossil fuels, uh, I'm, I'm talking about tar sands, offshore oil, Arctic oil, etc., etc. So the really dirty stuff by 35, 35 banks uh, constituted to 735 billion US dollars in 2019. You see, even though we have achieved a lot on green financing, there is so much financing that is that is going into the dirty industries without any consideration um, that is, you know, that is that cannot be overlooked. And the the transition and the transition bonds or this transition financing would aim to to make sure or, or facilitate even these dirty industries to to turn somehow uh, cleaner. So, uh, it would require, so that the notion of the, um, the transition bond, for example, identifies five principles for, uh, for ambitions transition. Mm -hmm. One is the, uh, all goals and, uh, uh, need to be, uh, you know, in line with the one, one and a half degrees, um, target. Or, uh, the other one is that it, um, has to be established. The transition has to be established by sci uh, science that offsets don't work. And, um, and you have to uh, you have to assess every technological assessment or uh, annuity 
in order to assess whether you can transit into, into a lower carbon intensive operations or not. And the fifth one, which is very important, is it talks about actions, not pledges. So you don't pledge anymore. And if you don't do, if you don't fulfill that pledge, then nothing happens. You actually have to show with your actions that 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 transition is happening and you have to be penalized if you don't. For example, sustainability link bonds uh, are those kind of instruments. Wow. I'm sure a lot of organizations and entities would appreciate that. Actions um, definitely are what can get us to the next step here. So there was a recent report from the Bank of International Settlements, Switzerland-based central banking organization, and they claim that there is no link between green bonds and companies reducing their carbon emissions. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Obviously, um, you know, the picture is a little bit more complicated than that because, uh, because of course, this, this number differs from uh, industries to or sectors to sectors. For example, industrials and real estate green bonds issuer achieved lower carbon emissions than, than the ones who didn't. But of course, there are industries like the utility sector where, where this wasn't, this wasn't true. Um, obviously, what you have to take into account is that, that green bonds are project financing vehicles. So you have to check you know, what is the ratio or the relationship between these uh, clean projects uh, versus the BEAU projects. And apparently these green projects were so small um, compared to the BAU projects that they didn't move the needle when, when they were sort of executed upon. And by the way, green bonds are quite new, so they, uh, their kind of maturity is still way out. So uh, assessment, complete assessment is, is still to be seen, but, um, but, you are, uh, but it's important to mention that, you know, that this kind of transition financing, when you actually make uh, the issuer accountable to not acting, i.e. sort of creating a sustainability default, so to say, that would help taking these more seriously and avoid greenwashing as such. You know, Barney, these conversations are not complete unless we talk about regulation, right? And what's going on, on the regulatory side, as well as corporate disclosure standards. You know, we can't really skip also talking about EU's green taxonomy more broadly. What does the trend for creating national and regional taxonomies mean for green finance? If we're looking at it from a perspective of the regulations or if we're looking at it from just a corporate disclosure standard perspective? I think. The very important thing is that the first internal uh, international framework um, that is both comprehensive and works in practice will have that kind of uh, leverage and 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 proneness to acceptance. And um, the EU action plan for um, for sustainable finance is is basically ticking a lot of boxes in this respect. So it's um, it's comprehensive enough because it's actually stretches across the whole uh, investment value chain. You know, uh, it, it talks about taxonomy, i.e. gives definitions of different things, uh, labels. It also talks about benchmarks. It, it targets, as, um, you know, disclosures for financial uh, market participants. It uh, targets incorporating sustainability in financial advising. And it also incorporates... Uh, the uh, the disclosure by corporates so it's it's a it's a very comprehensive framework of course the puzzles of this big framework are coming to life 
at different sta- at different stages. So we saw the NFRD, you know, uh, launch um, in the beginning of the year. Then we saw the EU benchmarks regulation entering into force in June, and and of course the next one is the SFDR in uh, March next year. So it it has different puzzles, but it's very comprehensive. It's also descriptive enough. It, for example, creates uh, a, a good framework identifying what is a economic activity that is uh, environmentally sustainable, for example. And it's flexible enough as well. So it doesn't, for example, in the SFDR, um, it doesn't uh, prescribe minimum thresholds. It just prescribes disclosure on portfolio and an entity level. And of course, the market will decide whether as per that uh, disclosure, whether the 25% of, let's say, sustainable uh, revenue streams is enough or not for in, in, in case of a corporate or, or in case of a, a, you know, an, an investment vehicle. And of course, it's global enough because it's applicable to any sort of investment activities that are that are pursued in the European Union. So um, if you're an American uh, investment manager and you have clients in Europe, you have to look into this framework. And it's early enough as well. You know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, there is no federal, serious federal regulation pro uh, transition in the States, although China has really made their pledge uh, to the to the 2060 uh, carbon uh, neutrality. They they didn't they don't really have a comprehensive legislative framework, whereas Europe has um, a framework which is which is slowly and steadily coming to life. So I would believe that mm. um, this would make the European legislation uh, quite sticky and accepted, especially that these kind of trends that, that this uh, regulatory framework sets is flowing directly into other networks like uh, like the NGFS network for greening the uh, financial system, which is basically a network of uh, central banks and monetary authorities across the globe. And, um, and, and, you know, they will adapt and benchmark against this mm-hmm. regulation. And Barney, this is great information. I mean, everything from at the top of the call talking about our transition, not just toward climate, but also digitization, how that has really impacted um, all of the efforts that we're doing, particularly over the last six months. So progress in that area, digitization, as well as climate transitioning. Also, that plans that are calling for strategy are great, but how more of these organizations and regions are calling for actions, as well as the strategy behind it. Also, achieving targets? Can countries um, do it when there are some key players that are missing? And really how regions can work together to achieve these targets, um, working together as countries that are involved here. Also, climate bonds, the fact that they vary and different types yield different results. So we shouldn't despair because some climate bonds um, may not yield the results that the that folks hope they yield, but just really recognizing the differences between all of them. Great information, Barney. Global Sales Readiness Director for Sustainable Finance at Refinitiv. Thank you so much for joining us. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitiv Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.